If you've ever been a renter, you know it's stressful to find a place with everything you love and nothing you don't. But did you know Zillow does rentals? It makes the search so easy. They have filters for pretty much everything, so you can find that place that's in your budget, but also isn't a shoebox. Or a place that's close to your parents, but far enough they have to call first. Plus, it's easy to apply, request tours, and pay rent in the app. Head to ZillowRentals.com and find your sweet spot. This episode of the GC Sunscast is brought to you by our Patreon donors. Old Soul, Jack's Dad, Paul Vosti, Tom Kim, and James Wood. If you would like to support the show, head over to patreon.com forward slash GC Sunscast and donate. We are $6 shy of our $100 goal to introduce a call-in service and allow the fans to join us in our discussions. If you can't donate, that's fine. Check us out on Facebook and YouTube. Like and sub- click and subscribe and share with friends and family. Now it's time for the show. Hello and welcome to the GC Sunscast, a Gold Coast Sun show by fans for fans. I'm your host Shane and joining me to talk all things Suns is Tom. G'day Tom, welcome to the show, another week and footy is back. How did you handle the lead up to 12pm on Sunday, the first bounce of Gold Coast versus St Kilda? Yeah, yeah, g'day Shane. Oh yeah, it was nice to wake up on a Sunday morning knowing that there was going to be a game of footy, bit bit early for my my taste. Um, this time last year, I was living in Melbourne, of course, and, and uh, I was at the round two game in March, so the conditions looked pretty familiar to me. Unfortunately, the scoreline wasn't quite the same, uh, but, you know, we'll get into that. Uh, good to have footy back. It certainly is. I did plan my whole weekend around the uh, the game and got all my chores, all my housework done, basically cleaned everything, cars, Dishes, clothes, whatever, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, sat down 12pm, it was a steamy hot day up here in the Gold Coast around 34, mm-hmm. 35, so I chucked the aircon on and had a six pack of tinnies, a pack of salt, salt um, sweet chilli chips and just enjoyed the show. <laughs> I actually got my cleaning done after the game to take out my frustration, <laughs> had a good hour of angry cleaning. Uh, got it all out, um, but anyway, uh, silver linings, eh? Yes. Well, let's get on to the show. We'll discuss the game later on. Uh, before we start, I just want to remind our audience listening that we are live, so if you're listening live, jump into our chat and let us know what your thoughts on the St Kilda game was. Tell us your highlights, your lowlights, just what you thought of the game, and join in our discussion there. And at the end of the game, we're going to be talking about the Fremantle game, and what we think our strengths and weaknesses are. So jump in and contribute for that as well. But for now, let's get on to the news. So, uh, first piece of news is probably the elephant in the room. We've had a lot of uh, contact from our supporters and our fans about this, but it's good news. The Gold Coast Suns have officially produced a members podcast. What do you think of that one, Tom? You had a listen last night? Yeah, and look, it's a it's it's a pretty well produced, pretty slick, short podcast. Um, a lot of a lot of people will uh, have listened to it, so uh, not much more to say about it. Um, obviously, uh, Mark Evans is a is a great talker, so a good guest to have on. And you know, they talked about a lot of things 
sort of a, around the club and, and, and uh, the inside inner workings. So I didn't feel like they, they really covered anything that we could cover and they didn't try and do what we normally do. So it's really a complimentary podcast. Good to see the Suns now have two, an official and an unofficial podcast. <laughs> yeah, it's um, like you said, it, it's, they're going to be able to cover the, the news stories, the things directly from the Suns that we don't have access to, despite my numerous emails to the club. Um, but it, in the end, the only people winning this is everyone. I mean, it, it's yep. great that Suns fans now have multiple things to listen to. I am a bit concerned. It sounds like you have to be a member to be able to listen to the podcast. Um, so it yeah. sort of feels like they're restricting their, their database. Um, yeah. Well, on the, on, the, on the other hand, it's, it's a value add for members, isn't it? So um, I, think, well, I think we're getting pretty close to 10,000 members, which, you know, by the start of the season, you would have wanted. One of the big criticisms of the Suns has been that the, the, the memberships in the early days were up around, I think, the 13,000 mark, and now we don't quite get back up to that. So falling membership is is a bit of a concern. So being able to give that value and, and value add for members is a good thing. But again, we're for everyone. So, you know. There's there's something for everyone. Members get two podcasts. (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah, like you said, they're they're spruiking the motto by members for members. It sounds quite familiar to us, but, you know, that's good. We're we're sharing the same values. We're sharing the same goals. I've put the call out to the club to try and tee up some sort of collaboration. I think that would be really good for for both podcasts, Uh, Mm. you know. Who knows? We might see something in the future, but for now, at least there's more news about the Suns coming out. Now, yep. let's head over um, to other news. We've got the Metricon uh, partnership extension. They're they're extending their partnership with the Suns and have Metricon naming rights of the stadium until 2022. So that's more good sponsorship news. Yeah, that's terrific. I I like continuity in that you know you you see these places like. Geelong have had, I don't know, half a dozen names over the last sort of 20 years and people just go back to calling it Kidinia Park. Well, it's the same so, with Docklands at the moment. Yeah, there seems to be a bit of an uproar between Channel 7 calling um, the new stadium Marvel Stadium because of a um, conflict of interest. But, uh, mm. yeah, it's good just to know a stadium by its name. Um, mm. Yeah. Well, let's jump into the important news, and that is injuries. Injuries were updated today. We found out that Swallow suffered a knee injury in that game versus St. Kilda. Uh, Good news is he's suffered suffered no structural damage. Uh, It just seems he's probably going to be touch and go to go this weekend. Needs to pass a few fitness tests. Um, Ainsworth has done medial ligament damage, so it's a bit more severe. He's going to miss four to six weeks, and hopefully we can see Ainsworth come back before the bye and start to show, you know, all the potential that we've seen in him in the last few years. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm not a doctor, but I, I look at those two injuries, and I think Swallow's had every injury under the sun, and he doesn't want to be missing a game unless he absolutely has to. Aysworth is a 21-year-old who doesn't exactly have a history of injury uh, or particularly that, that, that knee. 
And so when they say structural damage, they're really erring on the side of caution. There is, you know, the knee capsule is a real, well, I, I do know a bit about it because I've had a total knee reconstruction, right? So the knee capsule is just so sensitive. So it would have, it would have really, there would have been a lot of swelling after the game. It's that, you know, if, because he didn't just get ice on it straight away, but he, I, for anyone who thinks that he's done the extra damage by playing out, out the game, they wouldn't have let him back on. So really, this is just like, mate, you're going to take a month off. You're going to have to do all the rehab to strengthen your knee. Otherwise, the next time you injure it, it's going to be off for a year. So, you know, I, they're, they're two different cases, but I, I think Ainsworth in, in this case is, is in the cotton wool and Swallow, who has a bit more, you know, clout, can say, nah, I'm playing. Yeah, uh, I mean the club certainly needs him out there as the captain, and he he had such a big impact, even playing on one leg down forward in that fourth quarter. But we'll get to that later when we talk about the game. Uh, we've got one more injury concern, and that is Colin suffered a concussion in the uh, near the end of that game. So not many fans would have noticed that, but there is still doubts on whether he'll play this week against his former side. Uh, he's just got to pass a few concussion tests. Yeah, it made a few plays of the week. Um, it's one of the one of those things in footy because it's a three sixty game. Um, you you can get legally hit like that and get knocked out cold. So um, he he wasn't out for a long time, but he was he was out for a couple of seconds. So I suggest he takes the week off. But I've never once been right about this on this show. So <laughs> don't listen to me. Well, let's move on to the game. So, St Kilda ended up defeating the Gold Coast Suns by one point. St Kilda, 13 goals, 7.85. Defeated Gold Coast Suns, 13 goals, 6.84. So, we had a couple of multiple goal kickers. We had Sexton kick four, Swallow kick three, and Wright kick two. And... The best for the Suns was Fiorini, Ballard, Powell, Swallow, Miller, and Bowes. And you could probably throw in Miles and a handful of others in there because it was a real team effort and there were only really a few standouts. Uh, who were your standouts, Tom? Oh, yeah, the young fellas. Um, Powell and Ballard were just... Every time they got the ball, I, I, I couldn't breathe. And then they, they did something good with it. Uh, I mean, Powell had a couple of clangers. It was a bit like Ballard's two clangers in the, uh, the JLT that led to goals in this case as well for, for young Powell. But he will learn from that. Um, he is back in. He's in the team, and he will stay in the team as long as he keeps playing like that. But yeah, you can't go past David Swallow. He he was just he didn't touch a lot of the ball because he was injured so early. But those three goals were so important. And if we had a drawn or won the game, it's it's down to him. So, you know, um, another player who a lot of people said was ordinary, but I think that they are uh, coloured. Their perception is coloured because Jack Martin actually had a really statistically good game. He was everywhere. Um, he didn't have the most possessions, uh, but he did when he had it. He did a lot of good things with it, and 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 without him. It, 
we would have been flogged. Uh, the, the, the fact is that the couple of instances where you saw him sort of in the clear with the ball and going, come on, do something, he kicked it behind or he kicked it to the pack and, and nothing happened. Or, you know, like and what, there weren't any spectacular jack moments, but it was a solid performance nonetheless. Yeah, like you said, there's there's a lot of players. Most of it came from our our younger brigade. Like you mentioned, Powell, he had 23 disposals, seven marks, four inside 50s. Uh, I'd say the only downside with Powell was his disposal efficiency. It was down to around 50%. Um, I think 52. Uh, Bose was sensational. 22 disposals, five marks, six clearances, and four centimetres. Four of them were centre clearances. So Bose was actually our lead midfielder in that game, just with uh, centre clearances. We really struggled in the centre clearances. Um, Wits had the ruck domination, but as we saw in the last couple of games, St Kilda and the, uh, Sydney and the Dogs, uh, we just didn't convert that ruck dominance to centre clearances, and the opposition team just bred it better. Um, I mean... So Bose really stood up for us there and at least provided some sort of competition despite the fact St Kilda dominated us in that area. Well, it was did, did you, it was very interesting in the, in the pre-game. You sort of saw Stuart Dew talking to Bose and they were kind of talking in code and in banter, but what I got out of that was that they were saying, you're up front, Bosey. You, 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 you're going to play... In, in, up front and then rotate into the midfield and then you're going to go back to the goal square. And that's what happened. Although once Ainsworth and Swallow got injured, then the game plan went out the window. Bose and McPherson went into the guts. And I actually thought, nothing. No, this is nothing on Swallow and, and Ainsworth um, because if they had been fit through the game, it would have been a different outcome. But I actually thought that when Bose and McPherson were in the middle, we looked more likely to, to win the clearances. Um, you know, McPherson didn't get anywhere near as, as many clearances as, as Bose, but he still got two. McPherson's more likely around the stoppages, um, but but Bose was, was the guy in the centre who got four centre clearances. Uh, Fiorini got three. So it gives you an idea, because Fiorini, who we haven't mentioned, he was clearly the best best player on the ground. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Uh, I've got his stats here. No, I don't actually. But uh, yeah, Fiorini was sensational. Had over 30 disposals and he was just all over the ground. Especially in that last quarter when we really needed him, he stood up. The other midfielder that really stood up and he's one of our debutants was Anthony Miles. He had 24 disposals at 75% disposal efficiency. Also had four marks and five inside 50, so he was really using the ball well. He did kick a goal as well, so that was good to see. And the comparisons are starting to come out between him and the son that we lost at the end of last year, Jared Lyons, going to Brisbane. And I saw an interesting stat the other day after the game that um, they pretty much, between Miles and Lyons, they pretty much scored the exact same stat-wise. The only difference Mm. was... Uh, Miles had 75% disposal efficiency and Lyons had about 50%. Yeah, that's down on uh, even even his... Uh, Lyons averaged 60% for us, so that's down for him. But we know what it is. We, he, Lyons is a great player, but he just turns around and kicks the ball forward. And, and there's, 
seemingly no rhyme or reason. And there are times when you've got to do that, and it is a coaching instruction. But, God, it's frustrating. So seeing Miles sort of take his time and have that awareness that he had a bit of time, even if he was going to be tackled into the ground as he got rid of it, he he and maybe people criticise him for being slow. And at first, I thought that's what it was, but then I realised, nah, he he's a guy who can go right through the middle, get his own pill, pick it up, and then figure out what to do with it. And he's not going to give out a hospital pass if he needs to take the tackle. He'll take the tackle. If if he's if he's got to get it off any which way, but loose, he he'll generally get it towards something you know as well as he possibly can. And in this team, 75% was a bad average, so he wasn't terrible. You know, you'd, you'd sort of if, – if everyone had a disposal efficiency of 75%, you'd be pretty happy. Yeah, there were a few that let us down this efficiency-wise. Probably the most alarming was Lockie Weller. He only had a 50% disposal efficiency for his 16 possessions. He had a really mm. off day, probably one of the worst of the Suns. The other was new recruit uh, Chris Burgess with uh, only four disposals and 50% efficiency. He didn't get much of the ball, Burgess, um, which was a shame. He, he kicked the goal in the first quarter and looked like he could have a good day. And he also featured late in that last quarter going for a mark from the infamous uh, Peter Wright kick. And he just wasn't able to bring it down. Yeah, I, I, you know, I thought, I thought Burgess looked likely he kicked that goal that was you know that that was that was actually you know quite a good good thing um but yeah he's 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 pretty raw um there were times when i thought maybe he could have could have uh, you know gone at the ball in, in, in a bit a bit harder or or um you know made some decisions him and Wright sort of looked a little bit clunky when they were trying to sort of apply the forward pressure and the, the saints were able to get out of that easily but I think probably one of the big things that let Burgess down was the fact that he, he was going for contests and the ball was coming to the ground and there was no one, no one there to crumb it, no one there. Like a, a Rankin would have had a field day on Burgess crumbs. Um, Ainsworth normally you know, would have had a field day. Sexton certainly a couple of times did actually feed off it. So, you know, we got some advantage. But, yeah, we, we lost our forward structure when the injuries happened and, and that just that's just how it goes, you know. Um, it's unfortunate, but you know you you can't expect Swallow to hobble around with the same defensive efficiency as McPherson, and you can't expect McPherson to run through the midfield and then go and put on the forward pressure. So, yeah, yeah, uh, that Look, Burgess, that was a bummer. Burgess had a day to forget for his first first game of AFL football, but um, I, I think he still contributed, and that was important. And I. Let's talk about all the new recruits. We had seven debutants for mm, the Suns, mm. um, and I honestly think all of them contributed in their own way. So let's just go through them. We had Lakosius, sure. 11 disposals, four marks, and five inside 50s. He played really well. He didn't convert that set shot on goal, but mm, he, he mm. was a strong marking target up on the wing, and with the five inside 50s, you can see that he was one of our leaders in kicking the ball inside 50 trying to trying to find a man so he was well he had two he was two almost playing assists. that tom lynch role from adelaide wasn't he yeah yeah uh, he yeah for sure um look he, he he made a few few errors um he he he's renowned for being clean with the ball and he was when he had space but when he was pressured um he sort of 
took a bit too much time. So he just needs to adjust to the pace of the game. But he had two goal assists. One of them was was um, when another player might have tried to, to to have a shot at goal, but then he squeezed it out to Peter Wright, and Peter Wright just went, well, I am going to bloody have a shot at goal, and he kicked the goal of the year. <laughs> yes. I mean... How good was that goal? Oh, it was a great goal. It's also been nominated for goal of the year. So yeah. if you if you haven't done it yet, jump onto the AFL's website and locate the goal of the year and vote for Peter Wright. Let's get that those sons up there this year in the voting for goal and mark of the year because let's face it, we haven't had too many sons highlights in the last few years and uh, every t- chance we get to to nominate one and spruik it up, let's uh, get out there. Uh, well, speaking of highlights, Shane, Sam Collins was crashing into packs and taking intercept marks all day. I, I, I really liked him. I thought that he and Jack Homsch could, you know, could benefit a lot more from being in a combination together because they, they didn't really uh, gel as well as you'd hope, but um, sort of knocking each other out of the way sometimes. But, gee, it was really good to see. Yeah, that was the concern with our back line. I felt like Collins was a... He, he seemed a bit like a, a raging bull. He he was always running into people, running over the ground, playing with a lot of aggression, which I like, mm. by the way. Mm. It just... Mm. It, it didn't look good when he's running into his own teammates. Um, and he gave away a few free kicks as well for similar things. Collins had five disposals and three marks, and I think his direct opponent was Tim Membry, who kicked two goals. Yeah, he did. He did uh, give away a couple of free kicks that led to goals. Um, but I think if you're a, if you're a key defender and you can get away with a clean game, where you don't give any free kicks away, or you don't sort of let any easy goals happen, then you've you've had a massive win. He he isn't going to walk away feeling like he's the reason the team lost. Um, I agree with you. It wasn't it wasn't spectacular. It was a bit bit kind of like you know trying to. It reminded me a little bit of Holman's debut last year, where Holman, remember, he just went after everything and tackled everything in sight and didn't really play much footy. He, he, he was just, it was just, you know, getting in there with his big body and, and knocking everyone around. Um, Collins is a big boy. That divot that he took out of the the pumpkin patch, um, the potato patch, he he um, he left a sizable hole in the ground and still tackled his man. So. You know he's he's got defence. Uh, you know on the on the, what am I? What's the word I'm looking for? He's got defence on the on the on the bonds. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, he he uh, he definitely seems to to be an AFL quality player. I think he stood up mm. on the day. I just question whether his role as full back is best for him. Ideally, we'd probably have Thompson there, and Collins would be playing that third intercepting sort of tall defender. Uh, mm. If you've ever been a renter, you know it's stressful to find a place with everything you love and nothing you don't. But did you know Zillow does rentals? It makes the search so easy. They have filters for pretty much everything, so you can find that place that's in your budget, but also isn't a shoebox. Or a place that's close to your parents, but far enough they have to call first. Plus, it's easy to apply, request tours, and pay rent in the app. Head to ZillowRentals.com and find your sweet spot. Basically similar to what Ballard's playing, but Ballard's playing so well at the moment that you, you kind of think Collins would struggle to be in the side otherwise. Let's move on to the other tall defender that's new to the club, uh, Jack Homsch. He had a mm. great game, 10 disposals, 4 marks, and he went at 91% uh, 
oh, sorry, nine one percenters, which was a team high. Um, yeah, he, he just he, did he, the basic defensive effort and really excelled with it. Yeah, he 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 filled the the Rory hole. Um, he gives away a couple of inches to to the other to his opponents, which is never really a problem with Rory. But um, those nine one percenters. I mean, to give 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 people at home a, an idea, um, Charlie Ballard had five, and Jordan Murdoch had four one percenters. So they're the nearest. So nine is clearly outstanding. Um, Look, they're replacing Thompson and May in our back line. And if you're going to use that as a benchmark, well, of course they're not going to, you know, they're not going to get as many possessions as May or they're not going to, you know, do whatever. But I'd like to see Jack Homps with a lot more of the ball, um, you know, 90%. So basically one clanger and and nine, if you know, he's, 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 he's kicked it most of the time and found a, found a teammate. Um, and he's got a he's got a, a, a nice nice long kick on him. So, Homsch and uh, and Murdoch I've already mentioned. Um, he's the next bloke we need to praise because you know he was also not quite as accurate, but um, still the knock on him is that he isn't accurate when his career average is seventy six percent, and that's what he got. So, um, you know Murdoch performed to the level that was expected. So yeah, I'm, I was pretty happy with the whole crop. Yeah, I thought Murdoch with his 13 disposals and four rebound 50s was uh, effective. Uh, he probably didn't have... He probably needed to have a few more disposals to have a really good game for the Suns. But yeah. I think he was serviceable and still played his job as a senior body on the field directing traffic and uh, still having an impact with his rebound 50s. The other player is George Holland smith who we got from Geelong as well. He had That's 17 right. disposals, three marks, four rebound 50s, and two inside 50s. So he really played that uh, wing game really well, uh, contributing mm. a bit in the back half, contributing a bit down forward. And the way he spoke in the post-game interview was really encouraging, uh, just showed his maturity and level-headedness. And you really see why he's been picked to, to play in the side with uh, players like Brody and Kalamachi, uh missing out on games it's mm. it's understandable why um george hall and smith is in the side when he speaks like that he's just got that strong leadership potential well with uh, i i thought you know i did a write-up on him the other day and and um i'm really impressed with him from that character standpoint and the only question mark i had was you know what, what is he that good you know like in a in a team like geelong you have to be good and I've, and I've gone through, um, you know, he's had a fairly illustrious second-grade career, as you'd imagine, it, being a fringe player at Geelong. And, you know, he, he, he his ceiling is very, very high. Um, the fact of the matter is he just gets in the guts and he gets bashed into next week and just gets up, like, at the end of the game there where he just copped a knock in the head, in the face, and you could see a bloody stung. And instead of sort of going, oh, you know, I'm hurt, I'm going to, you know, hold up play, he just went, oh, screw it. The bloody siren could go any second. I'm just going to pop it in there and, and hopefully someone grabs it and kicks a goal. That didn't eventuate, but he made the possibility of it by taking the, the mark in the first place and then just playing on through that injury. And he did that all game. 
Yeah, shows a, a huge amount of courage and mm. having blokes like that into the side, which is essentially a, what a lot of these mature age recruits that we've brought in from other clubs and the, the mature recruits in Burgess and Collins and uh, Corbett, who we still haven't seen yet, they should be bringing that maturity in, which is something mm. something different about the Suns. And I think it contributed to the four-quarter effort that we got from the club. So let's talk about the actual team performance. We had um, the second quarter momentum swings is something I'm a bit concerned about. It seems to be a trend um, popping up this season. Uh, You think back to JLT1 against the Bulldogs. I think we were about four or five goals up and the Bulldogs came back and got back in touch with us in that second quarter. Uh, in the Sydney game, we were level with them up until quarter time and Sydney got on a run of kicking nine goals straight. And a similar thing happened in this game. We were up, up again by about four goals at quarter time and uh, St Kilda just managed to, to sneak back in at the end of that first quarter, I think it was. And uh, most of that second quarter, St Kilda managed to extend their lead, get out in front. And it started to look really um, dire for the Suns. Uh, granted, one of the improvements we've seen, like I said before, it was sort of a four-quarter effort. That was more so in the way that the, the club fought back. And we've seen that in every game so far this year. How mm. they, they, they may lose one quarter, but it seems like we win every other quarter. So that seems to be something we need to address, just losing that one quarter and... Despite the fact that we win the other three quarters, we're still losing the game because of that one quarter. Yeah, look, I think you're right. But um, knowing knowing the uh, Marvel Stadium, uh, as I do, because I have actually worked there and attended a lot of games there, um, the when, when they play a game early in the day... Um, in the in, with the roof open and the sun's shining and, and uh, it's quite hot, it really sucks to be playing in the direction that we ended up playing in. So it's a, it's a coin toss you don't want to lose. Last year against Carlton, same sort of time, same of the year, we won the coin toss and we, we went the right way and we got the result. So what basically we, we, went, we had the advantage in the first quarter and the disadvantage in the second quarter. By the third quarter, the disadvantage is... is um, is is not anywhere near as as significant. It's just the, the the where the sun is in the first and second quarter is is the disadvantage. So, um, yeah, I mean it's no excuse. It's just it's just a feature of the, of the of the stadium. They shouldn't have had the roof open. It's just stupid. The reason they had the roof open was so the grass would grow. When you got thirty six blokes plus a few umpires running had, all over the grass. I, I know it's a bit ridiculous. They've had six months since uh, probably longer since the last game of footy there. Uh, it, plenty of time in the in the summer to have the the roof open and get as much sun onto that grass. It's not going to hurt to to shut it for three or four hours. Um, mm. Yeah, it's a real shame on the AFL for doing that. But mm. let's move on to the actual game with the Suns. What did you think of the Peter Wright decision to kick to the top of the square instead of taking a shot for goal? Because that seems to be the thing that all the commentators in in the media are highlighting from this game. Yeah, look, I I used to be like that. I used to think, oh, you know, the turning point and the, this would have happened. The thing with the turning points is that, let's say he had, has his shot for goal and, and he hits a goal, 
that's great. We're five points up, and then from the from from the the centre clear out the St Kilda. You know, Jack Stephen rips it out of someone's hands and kicks it up to Bruce, and he kicks a goal, and they win. You know what I mean? Like it, you can't tell what's going to happen next. So a goal wouldn't have actually been the best result there if St Kilda then went on to to win the clearance in the, out of the centre and get a goal of their own. Obviously, a goal and then winning the game is the is the idea. But um, did you read? There's a bit of conjecture that the the umpire called time off, but the the clock didn't stop. And so, I'm under had, the impression was, that in the last five minutes of every game, the clock doesn't stop, regardless of the umpire calling time off. I could be wrong, but I thought no, that was no. the case, so I wasn't too disturbed by that. Um, is that a new thing, or is that a reason? I, I you know, it's anyway, been around for the, a while. Look, look, what I will say is, um, he didn't take the shot. Imagine if if the mark was clunked or the crumbs were picked up, and you know. Maybe a little bit more awareness of where the ball was coming in, you know. Like, surely the the, the, the small forwards had to know, you know. We had our our, our players set, but there was no one there to, to to pick up the crumbs behind them, and we should have really all been surging towards the ball and towards the goal and forced a point. Yeah, look, you know what I, I mean, or, or try to get a goal. I've been in the unique situation where I've actually been in a very similar situation to what Peter Wright was in when I was playing senior footy. Um, as as a tall forward, you know, I'd taken a mark out on the boundary line about 30, 40 metres out, but being such a tight angle, I didn't trust my ability to be able to kick it. And, mm. you know, I, I did the team thing. I thought I did the team thing and tried to kick it to, to a teammate. I ended up butchering the kick, and the other team took it down the other end and scored a goal. Luckily, it wasn't a goal that decided the game. But the thing is, you don't you doubt yourself, you doubt your ability, and you you think you'll do the team thing and try and help out your team. Uh, it it backfired on Peter Wright that time. It did, but at the same time, you know he'll learn from this. He'll learn to take onus, uh, as I did as well. That. You're the key forward. You've got the ball. It's your job to kick the goal. Mm. There's no guarantee passing it off to a teammate is going to result in a goal. There's no guarantee mm. it's going to result in a score. So mm. ha- have a ping yourself. If if you miss, then it's just as bad as you butchering the ball trying to pass to a teammate, and then you look like an idiot anyway. So Yeah, yeah. I, look, I, I think... They'll probably game that through. They'll kind of go, okay, well, look, you know, now what we've got to think about is is game winning tactics on a on on and even even if the angle isn't isn't so bad, you know, hey, it, what's better is it better to take your chances with the shot you've got, or to then take a risk to try and put another player in a position that's better, or a better player, you know, like the the, the possibilities are endless. Um, I thought the play after that, where where um, Dara Joyce spoiled Wright, uh, when Wright could have marked it on fifty, and Joyce spoiled the mark. I've looked at it a couple of times with freeze frames, and he's dead set chopped his arms out. And I mean, Peter Wright got five free kicks. That's how much he was getting fouled up, but he could have had ten. Yeah, and look, the umpiring, you know, the umpiring from the game wasn't great, and even the the rival uh, uh, coach um, Richardson mm. came close to saying the umpiring was terrible 
himself. Yeah, just so, unpredictable. I mean, you know, you, and cer- you want- certainly I was enjoying the umpiring when all the Saints fans were getting upset. I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> but Oh, apparently but, they were feral. Yeah, but, you Saints. know, <laughs> decisions go, you know, left or right every day. It could go to mm. anyone. In the end, it came down to the Suns butchering the ball at certain times in the day uh, mm. when they weren't under pressure and making wrong decisions. You can't blame Peter Wright for his shot on goal or lack of, mm. and you can't blame the umpires. It all comes down to a team effort of little moments throughout the game. You know, if if we'd been able to, to arrest that second quarter momentum, we probably wouldn't have got ourselves into that position where we were fighting to stay on top, to get back in front. Yeah, you, you felt like uh, after the, the sort of first four goals, you felt like the the, the, op- the opportunity to to get out to a 30, 40-point lead was sort of butchered. And then to be sort of behind by a goal or two for, for a lot of that second and third quarter, when we did get our noses in front a couple of times in the fourth quarter, Saints just had an answer each time. So, yeah, it's just, you know, we, look, we, 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 they, the Saints scored a goal late in the first quarter that we really, we really could, could have done without. They scored a goal late in the, in the, in the second quarter, which just sort of, you know, put, put the nail in the coffin. Not that it was the, you know, the, the end, but it just sort of put the nail in the coffin of the end of a bad quarter which could have been redeemed if maybe we got that last goal. But um, then in the third quarter, again, they kicked the last goal. So we kicked the last goal of the game, but then there was like 10 minutes of just behinds and nothing else going on. So, you know, we, it's something that's really common in our game is we can see the goal just before the end of the quarter. And mm-hmm. we've got to get it out of our game. We've got to get it out of our game. We've got to be the team that's scoring those goals that really damage. The, the champion teams all score goals in right in the shadows time. of yeah. halftime and, and go in with that, that high. And we, we never do. Yeah, ex- exactly. And I, I've, I'm, I'm agreeing with you on that one. All right. Well, we need to wrap up this conversation and move on to the Fremantle talk. Um, mm-hmm. Let's finish up with the highlight from from the game. For me, mm. it was the run that Gold Coast showed in that fourth quarter. Uh, the commentators said, you know, St Kilda is supposedly the fittest side of the the AFL, and they certainly didn't look like it up against the Suns because the Suns ran right over them for most of that fourth quarter. We were just unable to convert on the scoreboard to get the win. Yeah, and considering we had two injured players, um, that that shows that our resilience and fitness was was you know all the, all the better. Look, the highlight for me actually, I, I got out my little calculator before the game, and I I got on to to, to Footy Wire, and I looked at all the players' birthdays, and I sat down and I calculated the average age of the twenty two players was actually over twenty four years of age, and. I might be wrong, but I don't think I am. That's the oldest average age of any Suns team ever to go out and play a game of AFL football. So what that tells me is the Jack Homsch and Sam Collins and Anthony Miles and Jordan Murdoch, these guys coming in have that age profile and obviously having a couple of guys like Pierce Hanley and, and, and um, Jared Harbrow bring the age up. But on the other hand, there's guys who were playing Neeful, like Will Brody and Jez McLennan and Ben King 
who are very, very talented. And in the past, maybe they would have made their debut, but they didn't because they wanted to have that age and experience. And I think if we had tried to blood all these new rookies, we would have got flogged by 100 points. Yeah, I think we've we've had uh, teams with more games experience. I'm not sure about the age experience, though. All right, well, let's move on to the Fremantle game. So, Sunday at 3.40pm, Gold Coast Suns take on Fremantle in the first home game of the 2019 season. So, this is a special game for several reasons. Not only is it the first game of the year, uh, Jack Hompsch plays his 100th game of AFL. So, one of our new recruits gets an early celebration. Um, But Fremantle looking dangerous. They smashed North Melbourne on the weekend and kicked 21 goals. Currently sitting on second place in the ladder. Not that 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 means much this early. We've been that high before, I believe, as well. Um, That's where we were. We were this time last year. So how how do we go about uh, combating uh, the midfield of Fremantle? They've got Fife, who averages over 30 disposals against us a game. Uh, Langdon's in impressive for Fremantle and then they've got mm. the uh, forward dynamics of uh, McCarthy and uh, Walters mm. Yeah, look, they're, they're talking about bringing in Jesse Hogan if, if they can squeeze him in they, they're, they're sort of uh, they've, got, they've, got, they've got a very handy forward line uh, um, especially with their, their new recruits or recruits over the last couple of years. They seem to be getting it together, but Fremantle playing uh, in Western Australia is a very different creature to Fremantle on the road. And, you know, uh, once they're at home, in their, their home, you know, when they get up and about and, and, and you know, they, they, they were up and about pretty early in this game, um, they, they basically just... You know, they they had it, had the game pretty well won at half time, and they just kept on with it. That's how they got the flogging. Um, I don't think North Melbourne are a bad team, but I also don't think North Melbourne are a good team. Um, they they've North Melbourne are a bit like us. They had a massive list turnover, and so you know they've got good players, uh, North Melbourne, but um, and they got one of our players, Bailey Scott. Uh, but anyway, uh, you know, Aaron Hall. He didn't seem to have a very good game against against Frio <laughs> yet again. Um, whereas, getting around to next week's game, last year we we had a Hall had what four touches against Fremantle, just got bashed up all day. Um, we're going to have somebody like Hall and Smith playing in Hall's position, and so they're not going to be able to bash. Well, they can try and bash us up, but they're not going to be able to. Um, but yeah, stopping Fife. Is mission challenge number one? Challenge accepted. So, um, I think Hook Miller needs to go to Fife. I think that's going to quell Fife's influence. Uh, if we can get the Tuke Miller that shows up on the Dane Zorko, we'll be mm. laughing. Uh, I think Ed Langdon's a surprise packet that we need to to monitor on the wing. If uh, George Holland Smith or Bows can do a negating job on Langdon. Uh, basically, just follow him around almost and be his shadow. We should be mm. able to limit his impact in uh, being that rebound 50 and inside 50 contributor. And um, 
I, th- I think our defenders, Homsch and Collins, need to stand up against McCarthy. And mm. um, Burgess or Day or Peter Wright, whoever's playing forward on Alex Pierce, needs to make him accountable so he can't go off giving those rebound 50s for, for Frio being the intercept marker. So they're both very important. But we're running out of time here. We've only got a minute or two left. So... Who do you think comes in to replace Ainsworth? And do you think Swallow stays? Holman. Nick Holman. Holman? Um and and um and, and Swallow they they would they yeah, he'll he'll play. I liked your idea on the Facebook of having Swallow play forward. Um it it really adds a bit more flexibility. He looks so balanced down in that forward line, so that's really impressive. But uh, also, it would allow the re- replacement of Ainsworth to be someone like a Will Brody. I do like the idea of seeing what Ellis can give us, the new recruit from Richmond. But mm. again, I've got queries over whether he's match ready. Um, Holman, again, same as Ellis, queries over his match fitness and readiness. Uh, the other one I'd like to see is Archie, but he has been missed round one with personal issues, and at the moment we haven't heard whether he'll be right to go for round two. So they're the possible replacements, and I think all of them could could really contribute. Uh, we'll just have to wait and see on Thursday night what the uh, coaches come up with. Well, there's, of course, Collins' chance to miss. So uh, Ben King, Sam Day, Jack Leslie are all... Capable replacements who are all fit and firing. So, be very interesting to see what the team looks like. All right. Well, who do you think will win and by what margin, Tom? Um, it'll be a one-point victory to the Suns. Ooh, level out the uh, percentage. I'm yeah. going the Suns again, obviously by two goals. I got it wrong last week with the uh, the five goals, but you know it it was still a strong performance by the club, and we'd like to see that continue. All right, well, it's time for us to go. Go, Suns. Go, Suns. If you've ever been a renter, you know it's stressful to find a place with everything you love and nothing you don't. But did you know Zillow does rentals? It makes the search so easy. They have filters for pretty much everything, so you can find that place that's in your budget, but also isn't a shoebox. Or a place that's close to your parents, but far enough they have to call first. Plus, it's easy to apply, request tours, and pay rent in the app. Head to ZillowRentals.com and find your sweet spot. If you've been a renter, you know it's stressful to find the perfect place. But Zillow Rentals make it easy. They have filters for pretty much everything. So you can find a rental that's big enough for entertaining your friends, but small enough they won't crash all weekend. Find your sweet spot on ZillowRentals.com.